when Brother uh, Kenny was closing, I was starting, my heart started to pound a little bit more, and then you go into praise, and it was taking forever to get, get up here, and I was like, just <laughs> let, me, let me get this going, because um, I, uh, I'm very humbled by the opportunity to preach and uh, teach the Word of God. Um, thank you for the opportunity. It's very kind of you and gracious. Um, it was risky, risky to have uh, Brother Kenny and I and more risky to announce it last night. So you might have had more people if you wouldn't have said it. <laughs> but I do feel like I've heard the statement before, a lion in a den of Daniels. That's kind of how I feel right now. So, um, but thank you for being here. Thank all of you for your faithfulness to the Lord and for your friendship. And uh, he mentioned that attitude about uh, pastors, assistant pastors, who's higher, who's lower. And I truly can say genuinely that I've enjoyed the friendships of many men of God that in this state that just have always, you know, there's those guys that say, oh, you're an assistant pastor and they move on, or you're a layman and they move on. But really uh, just to treat everyone with, um, with the, the realization of be just being a child of God, a friend right. in the ministry, a friend in Christ, and I appreciate that. If you would turn over to Genesis chapter 17, Genesis chapter 17, and as you're turning there, I came across a, uh, a little story that I think would be a blessing to you. Uh, Brother Kenny mentioned the, um, the skepticism that we live in in the world today, and how many of you understand that, uh, you know, maybe the world is a bit different than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago as far as when you go out soul winning. It's a different kind of people with, a, they're starting from a different basis as far as a religious background, no understanding of God, the Bible, who, who's Adam and Eve, and um, we're learning how to win people to Christ, starting perhaps from different places. And I read this, I thought it was cute. It says an atheist was taking a walk through the woods. He says, what majestic trees, what powerful rivers, what beautiful animals, he said to himself. As he continued walking alongside the river, he heard a rustling in the bushes. Turning to look, he saw a seven-foot bear charging towards him. He ran as fast as he could up the path. Looking over his shoulder, he saw that the bear was closing in on him. His heart was pumping frantically, and he tried to run even faster. He tripped and fell on the ground. He rolled over to pick himself up, but saw the bear raising his paw to take a swipe at him. At that instant, the atheist cried out, Oh, my God. Time stopped. The bear froze. The forest was silent. It was then that a bright light shone upon the man and a voice from heaven asked, You deny my existence for all these years. Teach others I don't exist and even credit creation to a cosmic accident. Do you expect me to help you out of this predicament? Am I to count you as a believer? The, athe the atheist looked directly into the light. It would be hypocritical of me to suddenly ask you to treat me as a Christian now. But perhaps you could make the bear... A Christian. <laughs> Very well, said the voice. The light went out and the sound of the forest resumed. And then the bear lowered his paw, bowed his head and spoke, Lord, bless this food which I'm about to receive <laughs> and for which I am truly thankful. Let's read together from Genesis chapter 17 and beginning in verse 1 it says, and when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. 
Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful. And I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you'd remove from me any desire to impress, any false motives that shouldn't be there. I just pray that you'd help me to 100% edify those who sit under the sound of my voice. Help me to be an encouragement and may some truth impact the heart of the hearer. In Jesus' name, amen. If I had to come up with a title for the message, it would be, What's in a Name? If you were to ask a biblical character the question, What's in a Name? The person would reply, Everything. And names meant everything to people in Bible days, and we are familiar with the portion of Scripture in Proverbs 22 where it says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor, rather than silver and gold. And we know that uh, in in life as we endeavor to have a good name, to build a name, a reputation that's honorable, we know that it's not for our glory. We know that any reputation that we might establish that's honorable would be, it should be our desire that that name would give honor and glory to God. And we know that as Abram would become Abraham, those of us who have studied the life of Abraham and read about him for years through the book of Genesis, we know that that name is all about the glory of God and what he's done throughout the ages. I remember learning as a young man uh, about the meaning of names and, and realizing that my name means beloved one that is loved, beloved of the Lord. And it's something that um, encourages me to realize that I am loved by God. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we all have names, and perhaps you know what your names, and we took some time in Sunday school the le- this last Sunday to uh, go through different people's names. And some names, there's a, I felt bad for a young lady in our classes. Her name is Brittany. We looked up her name, and it means from Britain. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you're just going to have to do more with that for yourself. Sometimes our names don't necessarily mean all that much, but our life, the life that we live and the life God helps us to live can give meaning to that name. Jacob was renamed Israel after a night of wrestling with God. Simon would receive the name Peter, which means rock, when he met Christ in John chapter 1. We all desire to have a name that's respectable. Hopefully a name that will bring honor and glory to the Lord and not ourselves. Many of us have been blessed with a good name by those who went before us. Some were given a name that wasn't all that respectable, and it's your desire with God's help to change that reputation. But in this chapter, we're going to see, and we're not going to look at all of it, but I just want to share a thought with you this morning that Abram would learn a new name for God. God would reveal himself in a way that would demonstrate who he is to him 
And in the process of that, Abram would receive a new name himself along with his wife. And I'd like to talk about that for a minute. If you would, just look again at the first three verses in Genesis 17. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face. I want to talk first of all about the revelation of God to Abraham. The revelation of God to Abraham. Abraham would, forgive me if I, if I just use the word Abraham because that's what we're used to, but Abraham would receive a clearer understanding of who God was. In the previous chapter, we're familiar with the terrible decision that Abraham and Sarah made to pursue this promise that God had given to them of having a son in a way that was impatient, in a way that was human reasoning, in a way that was scheming and a lack of faith. It had been 13 years, though, since the birth of Ishmael, 13 years of waiting on God's promise, 13 years of anticipating God doing his work in his way, in his time. And here in Genesis 17, God reveals himself to Abram in a way that's very special. He says to Abram who he is, I am almighty God. I am almighty God. The first step in becoming the person we ought to be is a clearer understanding of who he is. We've all heard the, the saying of youth, they're going to go on this journey to find themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm going to find myself. But the best way, and truly the only way to find ourself, is to find God. If you have a question of who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do, let me encourage you this morning, seek a clearer understanding of who God is. If you would please turn over to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. One of my favorite um, illustrations to, to apply this truth is in Isaiah chapter 6. And we see in verse 1 of Isaiah 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah speaking, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. So we see Isaiah in a, in a difficult time. It was the death of the king. It was someone he, he, he followed, someone he cared about. And in this moment, we see Isaiah having a vision of God. And if you look at verse 3, it says, uh, well, verse 2, it says, Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It was important for Isaiah in this time to get a glimpse of who God was. What was he to do? How was he to act? He needed to see God for who he was. Now in verse 5, we see that when Isaiah saw God for who he was, he could truly see himself for who he was. In verse 5, it says, Then said I, woe is me. It's amazing to me when you see the pride in Christians, the pride even in the ministry. 
And when we become full of ourselves and full of, um, you know, self-aggrandizing, how, how do you say that word? Self-exaltation. Uh, <laughs> we're not saying, woe is me. And I love Romans 7, where Paul, you know, oh, wretched man that I am. And we've got to keep that perspective. It's when we get our eyes off who God is that we get a, we get a warped view of who we are. He says, woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. You see, it wasn't until Isaiah saw God for who he was, that he could have a real understanding of who he was, of himself was. And then in that, he could know what it is that God had for him to do. We'll never truly be led of the Lord and know his will and his direction and his guidance until we, until we first see who he is. Abraham had to have the direction of God. And as he was going to establish this amazing nation of Israel, this nation that would give honor and glory to God through the ages, this nation that would provide the word of God, our Savior, and so much more, he was going to have to have a vision of God to go forward. The Lord wanted Abraham to know that he is the God who is all-sufficient. He's all-powerful and that there is nothing too hard for him. The Lord, uh, after Abraham had, uh, had the battle with the four kings in his attempt to rescue Lot, and he did rescue Lot, God came to him as a warrior and told Abraham, I am thy shield. When Abraham had turned down the wealth of Sodom from the king of Sodom, it was God who came to Abraham and said, I am thy exceeding great reward. And now here we see Abraham and Sarah as elderly Seemingly beyond the years of fruitfulness and childbearing, God assured them that he was, more he was all sufficient. He was more than sufficient to bring about this miracle birth. They were in a situation that was beyond taking matters into their own hands. And you may find yourself in a position where you feel perhaps unfruitful. How can I be fruitful? It's beyond my uh, human reasoning. I can't make this happen as we try to do so often in our life. But that's when God comes and he says, there's nothing too hard for me. You need to see that I am Almighty God. And that, that wonderful Hebrew word, El Shaddai, as we know it. Almighty God. God comes to us at special times in our life and I'm sure that you all have had these times where God has made himself known to you in a special way. I remember specifically a time when I was, um, in 2009, uh, I was down in Humphrey, New York. And uh, through, a process, through a process of events, we had been there for a year, uh, pastoring Humphrey Baptist Church. And uh, we just uh, felt led of the Lord to resign that ministry. And it was a difficult, very difficult decision for me. It was uh, humbling. It was really just devastating to me uh, for many reasons. And so, but I knew it was what I needed to do. 
And it just so happened that uh, the, the day after I did, resigned the church, uh, there was a camp meeting over in Hamburg. Many of you are familiar with uh, the camp meeting that Brother Godana puts on. This was back in 2009. And uh, Brother Jenkins, uh, John Jenkins, was preaching that night. And uh, I just was just pretty low. And I went in there. I, just, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want anyone to ask me how I was doing. I just wanted to sneak in and sneak out. And, uh, but I did uh, sneak up to the front row and sat up there. And Brother Jenkins was preaching along. And uh, how many of you know that sometimes preachers uh, can give you this impression that everything's always perfect? Nothing's ever wrong. The ministry's great. Everything's growing. Everything's moving forward. And uh, he just preached a real transparent message that was helpful to me, talking about how, you know what, sometimes things aren't going so great. And... So, you know, when somebody asks you how you're doing, you're just supposed to give the answer. It's going great, man. Praise the Lord. And he was just talking about how different illustrations were. You know, sometimes things are just not going great. Sometimes there's difficult circumstances. And I'm sitting down there on the front row. And he doesn't know me from Adam. And uh, he comes down and he puts his hand on my shoulder. And he says, there's guys in this room you don't want anyone to ask you how your church is doing because you don't have one anymore. Boy, I got in my car after that service and I just knew that God was just saying, you know, I know. I know, I know how you feel. I know what you're going through. I just want you to know. God made himself real to me. He'll come to you in the way that you need him to come. They say that the blessing of waiting on God, how many are waiting on God for something right now, praying about something? They say that waiting on God is not in, what you're, not, not in getting what you're waiting for, but the transformation that takes place in you while you wait. And not only the transformation that takes place in you, but the revelation and the enlightenment of who God is in the process. You know, you, you may be, he may have something that you long for, something you desire, something you're praying about. And you desire that greatly. And you're like, God, what are you doing? It doesn't make sense to me. Why is this taking so long? Here's a man, 99 years old. I don't agree with how God did this. But who am I, right? I don't agree how God does a lot of things, but I'm pretty stupid compared to God. But the transformation that, he take, that, that, that takes place in our life when we're willing to trust him, have faith, wait. Just be faithful. Like Pastor Young often says, just keep your head down and keep moving forward. No matter what you do or where you go, God is enough. I am Almighty God. He is sufficient. What Abraham needed to understand was that God was enough. He's greater than any title, any results, any success, any opposition, any stumbling block that seems to be in your way. I am Almighty God, and that's all that you need to know. If you would, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're still awake this morning, say amen. amen. <laughs> Good. 2 Corinthians. If you're not sure where that is, it's right after 1 Corinthians. <laughs> that was hilarious. In first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I would like you to look at uh, verse 8. In verse 8 it says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. We've probably all heard somebody say at some time that God will never give us something that we cannot handle. But I contend that that's not true. Because the Apostle Paul here says that we were pressed out of measure. You ever, you ever said this, I'm overwhelmed? Overwhelmed. I think, I think David alluded to that in the Psalms at times. Lead, when, I'm, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And I, I would say that there's a bit of truth to that statement that God, he, he, he does give us at times more than we can handle, but he never gives us more than he can handle. The Apostle Paul here indicates, if you read between the lines, he said, We had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves. There's a temptation in the ministry, especially as you become experienced, and especially if God's blessed you with great talent and ability. And boy, the Apostle Paul, how I just can't imagine the mind that he had growing up as a Pharisee and the things that he knew, the experiences that he had, the things that he'd accomplished, the temptation he had to trust in himself. God had to do things to Paul to make him not do that. And so he said, we're pressed out of measure. He said that we should not trust in ourselves. God brought this into our life and, he, and so God would, would press and you would push him to be down here. You get pressed, it puts you in a position of, I need you, God. It humbles you. We're going to see in a minute that, that Abraham fell on his face. Oh, that's a good place to be. That's a great place to be. When, I was, uh, uh, when my family first started going to Heritage Baptist Church, my dad was a, was a truck driver for a concrete block company. The Cellini family had always uh, been involved in construction, uh, being Italian, and my grandfather uh, was a part of working in the plant. And Anyway, so he, he, he would drive the truck into the job site, and he would throw his, um, with the forks on the back of the truck, he'd put the cubes of block down in the, uh, the basements as they were dug, and uh, my dad was kind of getting into church, but he wasn't really committing himself to the Lord as he should. And he was kind of serving God half-heartedly, lackadaisically. And uh, as he tells the story, he was um, bending over next to, the concrete, next to the bed of the truck, and a 12-inch concrete block fell off the truck and landed on his back. I vividly remember that as a teenager, watching my dad go through the recovery of that process. He, was, he broke his back in six places and he suffered with back problems ever since. But um, he was in excruciating pain. 
And for a good six months, he, he could do very little without feeling the excruciating pain of that. But it was very interesting, as a teenager, trying to figure things out, my dad couldn't get comfortable uh, laying down. He couldn't get comfortable uh, sitting. But there's one place that he didn't feel pain. And in front of our couch, we had a coffee table. And the only place that my dad could not feel pain would be like this, kneeling over the coffee table. And it was there God brought my dad to his knees. I love this scripture that talks about how um, if you fall on the stone, you'll be broken. But if the stone falls on you, it'll grind you to powder. And I decided as a teenager, I said, God, I think I'd rather fall on the stone than have the stone fall on me. By the way, and it was in that position that, my, that God began to really work in my dad's life. And through that, my dad, for the first time, began to see prayers answered. And one of those prayers was this guy giving his life to the Lord. Thank the Lord for something that seemed very unproductive, but it couldn't have been more of what he needed because from that position he could see God. He could have that vision of God that he needed. Look ahead to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. In chapter 3, Verse 5, we see not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. I am Almighty God. I am all that you need. Look, if you would, ahead to chapter 12. You're all familiar with this portion of Scripture. We love this portion of Scripture. In verse 7, it says, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. You know, the, the things in life that we call bad, and we have such a warped idea of what we need. <coughs> Romans 8 talks about how we don't know what to pray for. We think we know what God needs to do, and so we ask him to do it. But thankfully, he doesn't always answer us the way we ask. And he says, uh, Paul, you need, you need a thorn. Verse 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, if you would, just look back to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. So what God brought into Paul's life was his presence, in a sense, his grace, as he says, knowing who God is, that vision of God. And then we see in chapter 15 and verse 10, Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So we're talking about, you know, what's in a name and what it is that we would like God to do in our life and how we would love for him to use us and cause us to be fruitful. We need to have a vision of God. And we need to experience that grace, that sufficient grace, and, and get that idea embedded deep into our minds. He's Almighty God. He's sufficient. He's all that we need. I'm going to hustle here. Number two.
we see the responsibility given to Abraham. The revelation of God brought a greater responsibility to Abraham. Enoch and Noah had walked with God, but Abraham was to walk before God. We see in, in, in verse 1, God says to Abraham, walk before me. Walk before me. And then we see that he fell on his face. Well, every mistake in my life can be traced to the fact that I, I failed to fall on my face. I failed to humble myself. And it's important to understand, humility is the key to having God's grace. God gives grace to the humble. Matthew Henry said this. I love this statement. Those that are admitted into fellowship with God are and must be very humble and very reverent in their approaches to him. If we say we have fellowship with him and the familiarity breeds contempt, we deceive ourselves. Think of that. How can we have a greater knowledge of God and love him less? How many Christians do you know that have supposedly known the Lord for so many years, their passion is less than it was before? Their love for God, their energy for God, their enthusiasm for God, how can that be? How can, so we have to ask ourselves the question, I say I know the Lord. I say I'm seeking God, but my familiarity with God is not causing me to be more passionate for God. What's wrong with this picture? What happened to Romans 3, where he talks about you've left your first love? I contend that our greatest love should be our last love. The longer we know God and the greater we know God, the more passionate should be our love for God. That means I'm supposed to stop soon. That, and Henry continues, that to be religious is to walk before God in our integrity. It is to set God always before us and to think and speak and act in everything as those that are always under his eye. It is to have a constant regard to his word as our rule, to his glory as our end, and in all our actions, and to be continually in his fear. Do you, do I walk in the presence of Christ? Do we practice the presence of Christ? Is God that real to us? We often do what we do because of who's around us. There may be a temptation to impress. There may be a temptation to maybe um, we can get more out of this situation if we put on a, a greater effort. We can't do that. James talks about that. We must in every situation, whether, whether it's what we're watching, what we're listening to, what we're meditating upon, our actions, it must be as if we're walking before the Lord. This is what God said, Abraham, you need to walk before me. If you would have walked before me, you wouldn't have gone to Egypt and you wouldn't have picked up Hagar. If you would have walked before me, you, you and Sarah wouldn't have made that dumb decision you, what you should have done back there is what you've done now, fall on your face. We need to be, be just do everything we can to continue to walk before God. In Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. 
Well, we live in a day. It's, there's always been a temptation to live a hidden life, a secret life. But now more than ever, with technology, there's such a temptation out there and it's such an opportunity the devil's made available to us for us to be someone that we're not. We need to be mindful of the Lord's presence. We can cast this image on, 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 the, on the internet presence of someone that we're not. We've got to walk humbly before the Lord. So, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to close right there. But I want you to just keep those thoughts in mind as we look at the life of Abraham. There was the, um, there was the revelation of who God was. And then there was the responsibility that Abraham was given as a result of that revelation. Let's keep those things in mind. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your patience with us. And Lord, you certainly were patient with Abraham. Yet, you still used him. You still gave him a name. You still made him fruitful. And though in a sense it wasn't even in his lifetime, but his faith in you caused you to bless in a mighty way. Help us, Lord, to follow his example in Jesus' name. Amen.